0: All right, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter number three this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter three, and we will be looking here uh, at the first 13 verses. We'll look particularly at verse number one, really, and then uh, a little bit at verse number 13. But uh, all of this is kind of contained and explains those verses, the rest of the text. And so, Ecclesiastes chapter number three. If you're not familiar as much with that part of the Old Testament, just find Psalms and go two books to your right. So it's Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Um, We'll be Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and beginning there in verse number 1. The Bible says the words of the preacher, uh, or excuse me, that's chapter 1. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Let's try that again. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I want to speak this morning on the thought of season for growth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful opportunity. That we have as members of your family as your children to come together to worship you Uh, lord i pray that you would speak to our hearts i pray that you would open our, our hearts to your word this morning i pray that you would challenge us that you would encourage us and lord that you would do in each one of our lives what needs to be done this morning in jesus name amen you know as you look here he starts off to everything there is a season and so uh, you know, when we look at what's going on in the context here, you have Solomon, who is, to me, unarguably the wisest man apart from Christ that ever lived. The Bible states that God gave him this magnificent wisdom, uh, and it is something that he also squandered uh, in his later life. And so he was giving a, given a tremendous gift when he ascended the throne of Israel, uh, and then over the years of his reign, uh, it degenerated and he he though was wise in the things of this world he allowed relationships in his life particularly that of his wives to, uh, to draw his heart from God and to turn them to idols and so in all of his wisdom he still was vulnerable you know sometimes I think uh, we get the idea that as we get older and we learn more about the Bible and we learn more about God and we spend more time in prayer and we uh, spend more time serving him that we somehow become immune to the pulls and the allures of this world. Now that wasn't true for Solomon uh, and I think that, it, that it's not true for us either. If we have to be on guard always watching and always taking care uh, to stay close to the Lord. Uh, and so Solomon in Ecclesiastes essentially is lamenting his wasted life. He is going back and he's looking at what God gave him and then how he squandered that and then that it's all vanity. And so when he says within the writings of this book, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So what is vanity? Vanity is just simply empty, meaningless, something that is of no value. So it's essentially saying God made me, gave me all this wisdom, but now at the end of my life, my overwhelming outlook is that my life has no value, that life has had no meaning, that I have wasted that which God gave me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a life that I want to live. That's not what I want to register when I stand before God someday and give an account of the life and the life in Christ uh, that He's given me. And Solomon here, making the case, states, uh, you know, the weary round of life, everything there is a season. The word season is the Hebrew word "zaman," which means an appointed occasion. So when we talk about a season, specifically, we're talking about an appointed occasion. It also means a set time. So this is not a random occurrence. This is a very specific time. And he says that he's made everything beautiful in his time. So in other words, that which comes to maturity at the right time of life, is a beautiful thing in life and to God. That which is out of sync is a problem. And so to everything there is a season. And then he continues in every time and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now when I think about the word purpose, I think about a specific task. What is this that I have to do? This is my purpose. This is my now, this is my goal, this is my mission, this is what I have to be pursuing and what I'm after. I have, to, I have a purpose, I'm not adrift, uh, I am, I'm very directly going after a particular thing. The Hebrew word here is kafetz, and it means this. Interestingly to me, I found this interesting that it means the first word of the definition of this word is pleasure. And so it is pleasure and then it means desire and a valuable thing. And so when we talk about purpose we're talking about something that will bring pleasure, something that has desire associated with it and something that has value. And the reality is is that if something is valuable, we should desire it. And then the accomplishment or the the acquisition of that thing would bring pleasure. It means that in which one takes delight so I should take delight in my pursuance of God and what Solomon is laying out here to everything there is a season God has given us life he has given us the seasons he has given us different elements of life and it's well articulated through here there's there's a time to be born a time to die a time to love and a time to hate Uh, you know a time to war and a time for peace He, he gives all of these different aspects and elements of life, And we're not going to pick all of those apart this morning because we'd be here for, for several weeks. Uh, but I think the, the bigger picture is, is that everything has its rightful season or rightful place and time. And so to everything there is a season. In short, I would say that this way this morning, that everything has its appropriate appointed time. And in that time, it has value. I delight in knowing the depth that even the hard things add to my life. I do not delight in the difficulty. I delight in what will be produced on the other side of that difficulty. I think that's the essence of what Solomon is trying to say here. He's saying, listen, I don't delight in the hardship, but I delight in knowing what's going to be accomplished as a result of it. In other words, I'm not going to just focus on right here, right now, and me in the moment. But I want to be mindful of the eternal, with an eternal perspective. I want to see the big picture. God has the advantage of knowing the big picture. He knows how everything's going to turn out. He knows uh, the decisions that we're going to make. He knows uh, the mistakes and the sin that we're going to commit. The mistakes that we're going to make. He knows. Everything about us even more, uh, far more than we do ourselves. And, and the reality is is that we need to be mindful that God working in our lives has given us this season of life and there is a purpose in it. And it should be something that is driving me. It should be something that's valuable to me. It should be something that I desire. And then in the end result, I'm going to find pleasure therein. Now, seasons describe many appointed times. I've always associated uh, the seasons of the year uh, with a lot of elements of the Christian life now I understand that in our in our area that's a little bit hard for us to associate with on some levels especially if you've never lived anywhere but here because if you've never lived anything uh, anywhere but here all you've ever really experienced is almost summer and summer with the exception of winter for a day on occasion Uh, And so, which we had a few weeks ago, or several weeks ago now. Uh, But in in a lot of parts of the world, you've got actually four seasons. It's really uh, a a wonderful thing, four seasons. I like all four seasons of the year. Uh, I like a little snow. I just don't want so much of it that uh, I'm sick of it by the time spring rolls around. Uh, And so, But spring is something that I've always looked at and associated with birth and with rebirth. With sowing and with cultivating. So, in the springtime, you break up the fallow ground. In the, in the springtime, the farmers set the plow. In the springtime, they plant the seed. There are some plants that are annual, there are some plants that are perennial. There are some uh, you have to replant them every year. They don't survive the winter. There are others that go dormant or die, to, to, in a manner of speaking. They get in a time of dearth uh, during the winter and they revive in the spring. Uh, and so, we talk about Spring is being that time of birth, that time of rebirth, that time of revival in a Christian's life that's, that's backslidden away from God, that time of renewal in my walk with God. Perhaps I'm not someone that's uh, backslidden away from God, but I've grown in the sense that I've forsaken uh, the ways of God, but I am, have grown complacent in my Christian life. And I'm not. Uh, as as dedicated to it or i'm not as observant of it or as committed to it as i have been at other times in my life it's a time of, uh, of dearth, and when revival comes, or when God speaks to my heart in a special way, and God gets my attention, and it reinvigorates my walk with Christ, my desire for God, my commitment to God, uh, what we're saying here is that this is a rebirth of sorts. And uh, when that's signified by spring, a season, a season of spring, a season of birth and renewal, then there's summer. I realize that it's not technically summer yet, but you can't tell that when you walk outside. Uh, and so we have a couple of weeks to go before summer actually gets here. But for most of, most people, we think of Memorial Day as kind of the unofficial start last week of summer. And, uh, and so summer is a time when we just kind of naturally, mentally at least, slow down. Uh, we shift into vacation mode. We, sl- we shift into uh, family reunion mode. We, we, and I realize that we can sprinkle those things in all throughout the year, but uh, there's just something about, especially families that have children that are school age, uh, to where summer is that time to get away. Summer is that time uh, to relax a little bit. You get through the busyness of the, you know, the the farmers get through the hustle and the, uh, the busyness of, uh, of, the, of the breaking up the ground and the disking the fields and the planting the seed. And uh, now really all there is to do is to turn the water on when there's no rain. I not had to worry about that much the last few weeks. Uh, and to wait for the sun and the soil and what God's created to do its work. And so uh, it, it doesn't require as much attention as getting it planted. And so it's a time of growth. And so summer is that growing season, and then we get to the autumn, a time of harvest, the time when we enjoy the fruit of our labor. The harvest is in; we celebrate Thanksgiving. It was symbolic of that, and uh, and we we just give thanks to God for what God uh, has done. Uh, And so, but it's enjoying the fruit of that labor. He alludes to that. Uh, In verse 13, when he says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, it is the gift of God. There's nothing wrong with stepping back and enjoying what you've labored in your life to produce. It's a gift from God. The Christian life isn't supposed to just be nose to the grindstone 24-7, 365, uh, going at it, banging on doors, reading your Bible in prayer. Enjoy life. God saying, listen, I should be the central focal point of everything in your life, but enjoy your life. Enjoy your fellowship with me. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy your, if God's given you a beautiful home, enjoy your home. If God's given you something, enjoy that. Enjoy your family. Enjoy uh, that fruit. Go out and enjoy the creation that God has given us. It's a shame that there's so much beauty out there that we never see because we don't ever come up for air. Listen, it's not wrong. In fact, it's right to go out and to experience what God has given us. Uh, And so... It's that season of, uh, of harvesting and of enjoying the fruit of our labor. And then there's winter. And if you ever live in a climate where you experience a real winter, all you want to do is just stay indoors. It's kind of like here, an opposite. You know, we run from air conditioning to air conditioning from about July till October, right? Uh, and so, and avoid being outside as much as possible, unless it's early, early in the morning. Uh, but in the north, it's that you, you just... It, you know, you, you, the greatest invention in the world to somebody that lives up north outside of the garage is the self-starting car that can be warmed up for you whenever you go out there. Uh, that you can turn on your defrosters and all that stuff and get all the ice melted off before you have to go out there and scrape it. And so uh, that, that cold that just, that just makes you shudder whenever, it, uh, whenever you walk outside and it grips, grips a hold of you. And so, uh, listen, that winter is just dearth. Nothing's green. Nothing's growing, and it's symbolic of death, or of dearth, a spiritual dryness, or death in our lives where we've disassociated, distanced ourselves from God, and there's nothing spiritual going. The Holy Spirit's still there, but outside of the Holy Spirit taking residence in our heart. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, there's no evidence of God in your life. It's a time of of dearth, and so there's seasons. And what I'm trying to get to this morning, and the point is that as we begin June, we begin summer. We begin summer routines. We begin uh, summer mentalities. We begin uh, culturally, it's a time for us to slow down. It's a time to take a vacation. It's a time uh, to relax a little bit more. And spiritually, we can disengage, or we can seize the opportunity of the slower schedule. To embrace the great opportunity that we have for growth summer should be a time of growth the summer months for us as Christians though we should be growing throughout the year I'm not trying to discount or say that we only should be growing in the summer but I'm saying that when we get into this season of the year we should shift our focus mentally to a time of, hey, I want to be growing in the grace of God. I want to be growing in the knowledge of God. I want to be growing and letting God develop my life as I move forward for Him. It's not a time to put God on the back burner. It's a time to meditate. It's a time to pray. It's a time to refresh and to grow. So, Pastor, i got to take a vacation. Don't take a vacation from God. I understand you may take a vacation from teaching your class, your normal ministry routines here. If you travel and you go somewhere else, that's that's fine. I'm all for it. Go, enjoy and enjoy family. Enjoy some time away and come back refreshed. Not just refreshed physically and mentally and emotionally, but refreshed spiritually. Come back ready for God to use you. And so as we look at the message this morning and we look here to everything there is a season and a time and to every purpose under the heaven, I want you to consider this: the four areas in which we should be uh, taking advantage of our opportunity to grow. And so I want to encourage you this summer, number one, to grow your vision of God. Be intentional about growing your vision of God. What do you mean, Pastor? I've known God for all my life, I've known God for this many decades, I've been serving God for this many decades there's more to God than the human mind can comprehend last week on, not this past Friday the Friday before, Friday a week ago I had the opportunity to fulfill what I wouldn't say a lifelong dream but since the first time that I saw it in about 2008 or uh, the, the the first time I saw the Grand Canyon I looked at it and I said I want to go down there and So I was given an opportunity to go and so on uh, last Friday uh, we, Jason and my son Jason and I and about 46 or so people from the church that he serves at, stepped off from th- from two or three different points uh, from the rim down into the canyon. We went all the way down uh, the steepest of the south trails and went all the way up the north trails. It was about seven or eight miles down and it was about 15 miles back up and so it was about Three or four thousand, three thousand feet down and four thousand feet up on the route that we had, and so uh, it was, it was pretty grueling. It was, uh, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awful. It was all of those things all at the same times at different stages of the game, uh, and so I was the oldest person in my group, uh, and I was the last person out in my group. We started at four forty-five in the morning and finished at eight thirty that night, and so it was about. Uh, 20 or 21 miles by the park's map, but it was 25 miles by someone's app that tracked our distance and the steps that we walked. Uh, there was an older couple that started on the north and went up the not as steep uh, trail on the south that started at about 5 that morning that finished at 3.15 the next morning. And so there was a wide range of start and stop. The the fastest people that went down to the river and back up on the two south trails did it in as little as six hours. Then there were those that took 22. And so it was, it was different. My point is this, is that I have been probably four or five times and stood on the edge and stood in awe. And if you've ever seen it, you appreciate what I'm saying now. No camera will ever capture the essence of what that place is Amen. when you stand there and you soak it in but when you go to the bottom it's a whole different perspective it's a whole different vantage point and my point this morning is this God is deeper than the human eye can fathom Amen. and if I'm At a point in my life where I'm thinking I've studied the Bible for 50 years and I've prayed for this much and I've done this much for God and God's given me this and God's given me that and I think that there's not more of God for me to learn, for me to experience, for me to embrace than I am missing out on something that is available to me that few people will ever experience. Moses in Exodus chapter 3 has been 40 years in Egypt, a prince has been chosen to suffer with God's people to be a slave, was banished and set out across the desert and for 40 years has been tending his father-in-law's sheep when he looks up on the mountain and he sees a bush that's burning but is not consumed. He knew this God. He had heard about this God in Egypt all of his life. He had heard of the elders as they talked about the god of israel he knew about joseph he knew about abraham and isaac and he knew about jacob and all of that that entailed in their history he knew about god but not on this level this was different and in chapter 3 of exodus in uh, verse 3 he said and moses said i will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt <coughs> and when the lord saw that he turned aside to see god called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said moses moses and he said here am i and he said draw not nigh hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground moreover he said i am the god of thy father the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob and moses hid his face for he was afraid to look Upon God when's the last time that you had an encounter with God a vision of God that caused you to shy away because you got a glimpse of holiness that you were afraid to look at. What I'm talking about this morning is that there is an opportunity and a season for me to grow my vision of God, to see more of God than I've seen before, to experience God on a level that I've not experienced Him before, to gain a whole new perspective of the Christian life than I've ever embraced before, regardless of how new or how long I have been saved. I can choose to just live in the existence of what I know, thinking that I have done some great thing for God, or I can long and desire and purpose my heart to know more of Him, to grow my vision of God, in Exodus chapter thirty-three, Moses wasn't just satisfied when he saw the burning bush. He went across. He God performed miracles through him. He spoiled Egypt. He led the first Passover. He held his rod out and parted the red as God parted the Red Sea. He turned bitter water to sweet. He got water from a rock. He saw manna from heaven. He experienced all that God was to that point that God would reveal to him, and he wasn't satisfied after those times of leading the. people of Israel he goes to God in Exodus chapter 33 and he said I beseech thee show me thy glory after everything that he had seen he said God show me your glory listen parting the Red Sea would be pretty glorious the destruction of Egypt the most powerful nation on the world by insect and by uh, by amphibian would be pretty glorious to to look and see God feed His people with bread from heaven for them to eat what they called angels' food would be pretty glorious. But Moses looks up and says, show me your glory. And He said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. And He said, thou canst not see my face For there shall no man see me and live. But I'm going to tell you something, Moses, I will be gracious to you. I'll be gracious to who I'll be gracious to. I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy to. I'm going to be gracious to you, Moses. I'm going to show mercy to you, Moses. And the Lord said in verse 21, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, that while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. There is a part of God that we'll never experience until we get to heaven, but there's so much more to God that we leave on the table that we never experience because we don't have enough desire to purpose in our heart that I want to know Him in a deeper way. My challenge to you this summer is this. Grow your vision of God. I want to grow my vision of God. I want to expand my experience with God. I want to learn a different vantage point of God. When we started off down last week, down that South Kebab Trail, we started looking down and looking back. Everything was changing. And every different trail that you could walk, and we only went down one and up another, every different place that you could go within that canyon would change your perspective. It would show you a different vantage point. It would show you a different... uh, The the same thing would look tremendously different than it looked from another perspective. And I'm saying this morning that God, it looks so different from different vantage points that we never are willing to pay the price to experience. Grow your vision of God. Moses isn't the only one. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 saw God in a different way. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 saw God in a different way. He set out to persecute the church. And the one he set out to persecute showed himself. And I I read this morning someone posted a quote. Uh, From uh, the commentator John Phillips that went something along the lines that the Apostle Paul is the only one that never saw Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. He only ever saw Jesus as the God of heaven. What I'm saying this morning is that, that God is so deep and God is so large and God has so, there's so much more than we can humanly comprehend. How could we sit back and say, I've got a glimpse of God and that's enough. I know all there is to know. I'm satisfied with what God has given me. Grow your vision of God Two thoughts about this. First of all, I would say, come to God with fresh eyes. How do I grow, Pastor? Come with fresh eyes. Don't come with the attitude of, oh, I already know this, but I've read that passage a thousand times. Come with fresh eyes. Asking God, asking the Holy Spirit to show you something that you've not seen before. To to unveil himself in a way uh, that you've never realized was there. See what you have not seen before. There's more to God than we've experienced. Secondly, I would say come to God with a fresh desire. A real desire. A burning desire. Longing to know him deeply. I would say this this morning... That as we see more of God, more of God should be seen in us. As I learn more about Him, as my as my perspective of Him changes, as the depth of who and what He is is introduced to me on a new level, more of Him should be made manifest in my life outwardly. Do I long for Him? Am I willing to enter into a season of growth where I come to God and say, God, increase my vision of you. Show me, reveal to me more of yourself. Let me, God, see some of your glory. Secondly, I would say that we need to grow our virtue in God. Or better yet, let God grow His virtue in us. The word virtue is a word that we use that simply means strength. It brings bravery, valor, moral goodness, and moral excellence. So when we talk about valor, we're talking about having the courage to become more than we are. Having the courage to face our fears. Having the courage to let God change our lives. Being brave enough to, and strong enough to, uh, to weather the growing process. Listen, growth comes with pain. Growing pains are Real. And most people aren't willing to endure what's necessary to grow. We go through tough times and we complain. We go through tough times, oh God, why me? We go through tough times and we question why would a God that loves allow such a thing to happen in someone's life. But the reality is is that there's a time for suffering and a time for healing. A time for rejoicing and a time for sadness. A time for love. A time for hate. A time to work. A time to play. All of those things that are laid out here. And will I allow God to grow me? Will I long to? Will I have the strength to trust Him? The strength to rely on Him? The the bravery to trust Him and to conquer the, the valor Uh, to embrace what God's trying to accomplish will I let him uh, develop me into someone that is morally pure and clean and good and honest and hard working and representing him well will I be a person of moral excellence listen the most morally excellent people on the face of the earth ought to be the people of God the hardest working the best testimony the most honest the most morally pure the example setters to the world at large should be God's people. We should be allowing God to grow virtue in us. In 2 Peter chapter number 3, and verse 18, he tells us, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should be intentionally growing in the grace of God. Two thoughts about this this morning. First, I would say, number one, allow God to grow you. Let Him grow you. Let God do his work. But pastor, what if it makes me uncomfortable? It probably will. I went down a Canyon Friday. I came up on Friday night. On Saturday, I could barely walk. Especially about the first 10 or 15 steps. After that, it loosened up a little bit. Uh, and so there was soreness through Monday. I walked five miles Monday morning and that kind of worked the rest of the soreness out. I walked them much more slowly than I usually do. Uh, and so, but it was, uh, it was working out. It was the struggle. And what I'm saying is, if I'm going to allow God to grow me, then I have to realize that growth is often going to require pain and or a struggle. It's just the, the, nurture, the nature of growth. It's a struggle. The plant has to break through the soil. It has to withstand the heat of the sun. It has to absorb uh, the, the water that's given. Allow God to grow you. Sometimes we don't grow because we don't let God grow us. We're willing to complain. We're not willing to endure. We're willing to cry, woe is me and why me? But not, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? Allow God to grow you. Number two, I would say allow God to make your life rich and full. In the midst of the struggle, value is added. In the midst of the pursuance of that which is difficult, value is added. Deep roots, fertilized plants, watered, nourished, enduring, bring me to a place where I can produce. When we stand before God, will we be a Christian that produces none, that has produced nothing? Will we be a Christian that's produced 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold? Will we let God make our lives rich and full? Or are we content to continue to live in the shallows of life? Let God grow us. I would say thirdly this morning that we need to allow God to grow or we need to grow in our vulnerability to God. We must remain vulnerable to God. That's a hard thing for most of us to do, particularly men. Um, We don't like to open ourselves up. We don't like to let ourselves be vulnerable. We don't want to show weakness. We don't want to uh, show any Uh, Any chinks in our armor. But I'm going to tell you this morning that if I would experience God, if I would grow in His grace, that I must keep myself vulnerable to Him. In Psalm 139, He says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path. And my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. David says, I can't even understand how you know me. You know the depth of me. You know the thoughts that I think before I think them. You know the decisions that I'll make before I make them. You've gone before. You're watching out behind. Uh, You know when I stand. You know when I lie down. You know when I take rest. You know when I go to war. God, you know everything about me and it's too awesome. It's too wonderful for me to comprehend. But notice at the end of the chapter, David is crying out, search me, oh God, and know me and try me and Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I know you know all of this and it's too awesome for me to understand. Look deeper. Show me more. Work harder. Let me experience you on a different level. Jeremiah chapter number 29 and verse number 13. As Jeremiah writes here, he says and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. When will I find God? When will I experience God in such a way? When will I delve deep and when will God delve deeply into me when I search for him with all of my heart? Two thoughts about this. First, I would say come before him humbly. Come humbly before him. Don't come arrogantly, come humbly. But the pastor of the Bible says come boldly before the throne of grace. Bold doesn't equal arrogant. Come knowing that God wants to hear from you, but be ever mindful of the one whose presence you enter. Don't disrespect and dishonor his presence with arrogance. Stay humble before God. Secondly, I would say come openly before God. This is the part that gets hard. But be open. Every fear, every doubt, every sin, every misgiving, every concern, pour it out. Weep before the Lord. Pour your soul out before the Lord. Make yourself vulnerable to God. David says, Lord, you know everything about me. Tear me apart. Search me deeper. Be vulnerable to him. Listen, we we struggle to show vulnerability to anyone, but we must not hold anything back from God. If I want to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if I want God to be developing me during the summer months, I need to be willing to allow God to help me to become more vulnerable before Him so that I'm not hanging on and doing things in my own strength and might, but I'm laying it all out before God and giving Him full control. Lastly this morning, I would say that I need to grow my value to God oh pastor but we're so valuable to God that he sent his only begotten son and uh, he loves us that much and that's how valuable we are to him we are valuable to him but are we valuable for him it's the difference I don't want to just be valuable to him I want to add value to his kingdom I can't do that on my own but he can do it through me in Luke chapter number 17, Jesus speaking, given the parable of the unprofitable or profitable servant, depending on uh, how you want to look at it, but in Luke uh, 17, this parable of service, if you will, in uh, verse 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to me? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and an afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth not he think thy servant? Be, doth he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow, or I think not. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants; we have done that which is our duty to do. Somehow we've got the idea that if we come to church a time or two a week, if we, uh, if we read our Bible and pray, if we occasionally uh, share our faith with someone, that we have get, done a great service for God. I would say that when we do all of that with every consistency, in the power of God, we have broken even. We've not yet become profitable you go to a restaurant this afternoon and you sit down and the waiter or waitress comes out and takes your order and they bring your drinks and they bring your food, but they never ask if you have any needs. They never refill your glass. They never uh, have any other interaction other than to bring your bill. They have done their job. They have fulfilled their service. They've done the absolute minimum of what's required of them. But they have not made your experience meaningful. What I'm saying this morning is that somehow we think that when we do the things that God has commanded us to do, that we've done God a great service, and the reality is is that we haven't even broken even with God yet. And until I'm willing to be committed enough to God, and to walk closely enough to Him, that I'm actually obedient to His commands, and not just the act of the action but to actually do it with the right spirit under the control and power of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that is bringing honor and glory to God, that's the command. And until I do that, I have failed to be profitable. I wonder how many of us will live an entire lifetime without ever being profitable to the kingdom of God. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 4 he says look not every man into his own things but every man also on the things of others are we so consumed with self with personal needs with personal growth with who's going to invest their time in me that we fail to ever invest our time in anyone else in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and, uh, and verse 2 Paul, speaking to the young Timothy, says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Listen, I'm just saying this morning that if I want to get to the place in my Christian life that I am bringing value to the kingdom of God, that I must first of all allow God to make me a difference maker. Whose life has your life made a difference in Who can you look at this morning around the auditorium and say, they're here this morning because of me? Who can you look at and say, I've taken a personal interest in that brother or that sister in Christ? Who can we look at and say, I've prayed for them personally by name today? Who can I look at and say, I'm willing to drop whatever I'm doing if they have a crisis and go to their aid? Who can we say, I'm willing to sit down and answer their questions to have a meal? I'm willing to sit down and to disciple them. I'm willing to go out of my way to sacrifice and make and add value to their life to teach them more about God. Am I willing to allow God to make me a difference maker in the life of someone else? Or am I too preoccupied with self that I'm not willing to be inconvenienced and bothered with the needs of another? I'm not talking about in the formal setting of a service or the structure of a Sunday school class or another ministry of the church, I'm talking about uh, when it's unexpected, am I expecting for God to use me? Am I willing to allow God to make me a difference maker? When I am, secondly, I become a profitable servant. Do I desire to be profitable? To everything there is a season. There is an appointed time for us to sow. There is an appointed time for us to cultivate. There is an appointed time for us to worship. There is an appointed time for us to labor. There is an appointed time for us to pray. There is an appointed time for us to get out there and do the work. There's an appointed time for us to come back and rest. There's an appointed time for us to commune and fellowship with God. There's an appointed time for us to invest in the lives of others and what's the great fulfillment of life verse 13 and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor it is the gift of god what greater gift than to reach old age and to be in constant interaction with a young person serving God that you once were the youth pastor of. To see 20 years from now, that young person that got right with God or that got saved, and you discipled them, and you poured your life into them, and you prayed for them and now as you're getting ready to go to heaven you look and they're bringing to you this person or calling you or texting you or sending you pictures of the person that they brought to christ or that they're discipling or their children that are serving god or that have been called to the mission field or that are going out to do some great thing for god all because you were willing to invest in them years ago not knowing where it would lead not knowing if it would pay off not knowing if it would really make a difference but you let god use you and you have no idea and i have have no idea how God has used our lives to impact others, and we won't till we get to heaven. But many times those relationships stay with us. Many times we see them, and it's a good thing to sit back and enjoy the good of your labor. It's a great gift from God. Watch really older preachers when you get a chance. Watch someone like a Don Sisk. Watch someone like. Uh, you know, a Lee Robertson when he was still with us. Watch someone uh, like these old saints and preachers of God that have gone on and many are with the Lord and you look at them when they were in their 80s and their 90s and they had young people by the scores uh, and people in their 50s and 60s by the scores that just wanted that quick picture with them. They wanted that interaction. They wanted to say thank you for an investment. They wanted to recognize that God had used... What are they doing? They're enjoying and they're in days the reward of their labor will my labor produce anything for me to enjoy when it comes to things like retirement and our homes it's certainly all of those things God's given us enjoy them but have a desire and a purpose in this summer season to be growing one or two things are going to happen through this summer in your spiritual life and mind. We will wither in the heat of the sun. Or we will be watered with the word and we'll grow. Choose to grow. Choose to let God grow you.